Hey, thanks for being here with us today. We are going to be in our series in Genesis, the book of Genesis. You can turn in your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter one. We are in our series called Origin Story, where we're looking at the origins of, uh, of our story as humanity and our world. What happened? What went wrong? Is there hope for us after all? And we're doing it in the backdrop of the modern secular story of origins. And so that's really what we're all about here um, today. Pastor Terry last week did a great job introducing this idea of the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei is the image of God, the imprint of God on the human soul that makes us particularly unique and gives us a, a, a purpose in our world. And so Pastor Terry introduced that last week. This message happens to coincide with Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That might be a new phrase for some of you, maybe you already know about it, but Sanctity of Human Life Sunday has been happening for about 50, 40 plus years uh, now. It's a Sunday each year in January where Christians and others around the country uh, take a moment to focus on the sacredness of all human life, also though to mourn the reality of abortion in America where nearly every year one million uh, babies are not granted the freedom of life, the right to life. And it's a time where we pray and we intercede for those who do not have a voice. Now, I recognize when I say those words, some of us are going to automatically hear those through a political filter. It's just the world in which we live. Maybe it's your world in which you occupy as well. You hear these terms in in only political left and right kinds of issues. But let me just say, while certainly there's political implications to this, for a Christian, this is not primarily the reason that we talk about this subject. It is first and foremost a biblically uh, grounded issue. It's a biblical ethic issue. So our first priority is not what a politician says, not what an advocacy group says or some other influencer says. The question that we should ask ourselves, if you're a Christian, is what does God say? about this. And so some of us are coming from that filter. So others of us hear these words today from a deeply personal place. Maybe this is part of your story. Maybe you hear these words and there's brings up wounds and, and hurts from the past because of decisions that you've made or decisions that were made for you or other people that you love in your life. It's deeply personal. It's personal for me. I actually in my story, I'm a, a, the son of an abortion survivor. It's, it's my mom and my grandmother's story. It's personal for us. And if my mom and grandmother were here, my grandmother would be the first to tell you that there are wounds every time that this subject comes up in church for her. There's wounds when she thinks about this. But they would also tell you, they would also tell you that while there are wounds, there's also healing because it's a constant reminder that they are part of God's redemption story, restoration story, that they've accepted the grace and the love, the unconditional forgiveness of God, regardless of what has happened in the past. And so they sit in the light of that. And so there's a healing balm of grace from the Lord for those of us in that kind of place today. And so for those of you that hear this through political uh, filters, I would just encourage you to set that aside and be open-minded to what we say today. For those of you whom this is hard for other reasons that I mentioned, know that there is a grace for you today. And so I want to start there. I want to start with that in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we, um, we come to you on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and we look to you, the giver of all life. And we ask you for the courage and compassion that we need to live as faithful stewards of human life. Lord, we long for the day where the book of Revelation says that their death shall be no more. We look forward to that. Death in all of its expressions, especially in this day, we remember the death of the unborn. Jesus, give us the gospel courage to rise and contend for the sacredness of human life. We thank you for the strides that have been made, even in our lifetime, to turn the narrative to save lives. May you give us wisdom and grace as we seek to be salt and light in this world. We also ask for gospel compassion. Jesus, show us how to love and care for women and men whose stories are marked by abortion, either as victims or as agents. Only the gospel can bring that healing. And so give us the eyes of Jesus to see those who need to experience God's love in and through us. Be with us today. Be with me today as I share these words in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to frame where we're going to head this morning. In our Genesis series, as you heard me to say, say already, we're seeking to compare the dominant Western cultural worldview, which is modern secularism, and its view of human life. And we want to compare that with uh, what the Bible says, what Chris, a Christian view of human life. So that's the first thing we're going to do. The second thing we're going to do is talk about the implications for a Christian view of sanctity of life for the unborn. And particularly, we're going to focus a little bit more toward the end of the message, uh, specifically on the implications for children born with special needs. As you know, we're launching, some of you know this, we're launching a special needs ministry here. And so we want to use an opportunity to talk a little bit about that today. We are going to hear from personal stories, three personal stories from people in our congregation who have um, uh, children with or work with children with special needs. So you're going to hear their story as well today. And then we're going to close an opportunity to respond. How do we respond to the things that the Lord lays on our heart? Today, So that's where we're going to go. Let's first talk about a little bit of a comparison. Modern secularism, Christianity's view on the topic of human life. Modern secularism's story starts with this, that human life is a cosmic accident. It's a cosmic accident. Christian story starts with human life is personally created by a loving God. Now, this is retreading some truth, some ground that we already were in in week one in Genesis chapter one, in contrast to the cold, uh, impersonal, modern story of origins of man. Genesis one begins with God's voice personally speaking life, giving life intentionally, giving life filled with purpose and meaning in a loving declaration saying it is very good. These could not be more stark differences between the two. Listen to how King David poetically and personally reflects on the reality that he is made by God himself, that God is the giver of life. Listen to what he says, Psalm 139. For you created me in my inmost being, 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are, are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. He's talking about his, um, uh, his conception. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my eyes. My, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you were an accident. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you were just an unintentional result of time and chance. That story is a lie. And every single word that David said is true for you sitting here today. There is no such thing as an accident any accidental human when it comes to God. Modern secularism's story, secondly, is that human life has no inherent worth, only bestowed worth with the, from those in power. Now, hear what I'm saying here. When you cut through the lofty rhetoric of modern secular voices, voices like Sam Harris, and don't get me wrong, I actually respect a lot of the things Sam Harris says, but people like Sam Harris or, or polit certain politicians or activists, you will find that there is no basis for saying that human life is sacred. There is no basis. And there is no basis for saying that any life has inherent worth. Worth is determined in a strictly secular filter by whoever holds the power and whatever they say whether that power is the state to determine an unborn child or a child in a foster care system or a person facing end of life and whether that person has worth or the power of a pregnant mom with an unwanted child or the power of a parent or a man in the picture placing pressure to end a pregnancy. There's no inherent worth, only bestowed worth by those who have power. Christianity's story is not this. Christianity's story is that all human beings have inherent worth because we are uniquely made in the image of God. Let's revisit that astounding passage from Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Listen to the repetition. In our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth, over all the cre creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. You, you see the emphasis here. The one thing he wants to make sure you know is that you have inherent worth because you're made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them. Every human being has value. Every human being reflects his glory in a special set apart way from the rest of God's creation, even the angels. Every life is a gift of grace seen in the blessing, the promise of blessing. Every life has been called to an, a, a purpose, a very good purpose of fruitfulness and dominion and cultivation in God's creative work. And this is true, this is God's intent for the child who's currently stuck in child slavery in places like Thailand. God's intent is true for the child born with Down syndrome, hidden from the public view in places like Somalia. And this is true for the unborn child 
in America. God sees their worth regardless of who's in power. Third, modern secularism's story is rooted in survival of the fittest and the strong dominating the weak. Now, again, you hear the rhetoric of modern secularists say how much they believe in the marginalized voice, and many do, absolutely. And what people groups matter to them, and they have signs and protests and hashtags, all that's fine. But the notion that any weak or voiceless people truly matter, friends, we need to understand, is not rooted in their secular origin story. You won't find that in their origin story. Well, where do they get that? Well, as Oz Guinness says, what they're holding on to is the fresh-cut flowers of a Christian origin story. They're borrowing a cup of sugar from their neighbor Christians when they say they're advocating for any people group or the voiceless. See, their story is based on Darwinism. It's based on might equals right. It's built on the survival of the fittest, on the strong dominating the weak. They're borrowing from our story, friends, because we have a better story than they do. Christianity's story, what is it? It's that the Bible and Jesus himself calls us to care and advocate for the weak, the voiceless, and the marginalized. This is all over the pages of the Old Testament, the New Testament. I'll show you words that Jesus says, Matthew 25, 40. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, who's he talking about? Those in the least, most marginalized conditions, the naked, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sick, and you could go on. You did for me. What a powerful statement. He's saying my life is just as equal as every single one of these marginalized people. For the son of God to not hold on to equality with God for something to be grasped, but he made himself in the form of human likeness. Wow. We matter to him. Or how about the Proverbs? In the Old Testament, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, commands us, by the way, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Are we speaking up for these unborn children who cannot exercise their voice? But not just them. Listen, being a Christian, being pro-life, being a sanctity of human life advocate means that we advocate for this from the womb to the tomb. It means that we're about the life of the preborn children, but we're also about the life of the foster, of those being fostered and in the system of the adoption and orphan care. It means we're about advocating against human trafficking and racial injustice and poverty and death from preventable diseases, from those incarcerated, from immigrants and refugees, for those uh, coming toward the end of their life, and, as we want to focus for the rest of our time, those with special needs. Children and their families and adults with special needs. This is what it means to be a Christian, to have a Christian story. A clear tenet of Christianity is that people either by nature or nurture who have special needs or disabilities or differently abled people equally bear the image of God. They therefore have inherent dignity, value, and worth. 
Their lives are a gift of grace from God just as much as our, any of ours are. Each child or adult with special needs have various capacities to fulfill God's good purpose for them in their lives and listen, through their lives to impact our lives and our world. Now, it's one thing for me to talk about this and believe me, I could talk about it ad nauseum. It's far more powerful to see the image of God in children with special needs by hearing some personal stories from people in our congregation. I want you to, to meet some parents as well as those who work with uh, children with special needs. And so um, I want you to give a warm brandywine welcome for those that are in our congregation, these families, um, Eileen Voltz, Bethany Parnell, and Laren Townsend, who are gonna come up and you're gonna hear their stories. Thank you. So thank you all for being here. Um, each of you have your own story, and we want to hear them. Each story is a little bit different from the others. Um, Eileen, I'd like to start with you. Um, you and Matt, your husband, um, have a child, Daniel, who was born with special needs with Down syndrome. Can you share a little bit about your story? Good morning, everybody. So we found out that Daniel would have Down syndrome, when I was only three months pregnant from a simple blood test. And from that moment on, every medical appointment encouraged us to terminate the pregnancy. As we moved along the pregnancy, they knew what states we could still go to in the event we decided to change our mind. Um, they just said his life would be very hard. So if you've ever expected a child, can you imagine every time you go to the doctor, someone suggesting that you do not want your baby? Sadly, in our country, 70% of babies in the womb with a Down syndrome diagnosis are terminated. In other countries, it's 90 to 100% are terminated. So Daniel, there he is there. I got to look at him so I stay happy while I'm talking. Um, but he's five of six for us. We lost two sets of twins before him, which made these suggestions even more painful and unfathomable for us. Um, so we always wonder, why is he the one of the six that God chose to be here? What is his purpose? So my ability to answer that question, I put a joke in here so that I would not cry so much. I'm doing pretty good. Um, my ability to answer this question is like our weather people forecasting snow, but to be fair, they did well this week. They were right both <laughs> times. Um, you know, but what is God calling him to do? So I can just share Matt and I's experience with him as his parents for the last 11 years. He is joy, hope, and love. He makes random strangers smile and hug. He even got Pastor McNutt to play some duck, duck, goose at a wedding in November. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, he just convinces people to do stuff with a smile, I suppose. But like us, he wants to be included and valued. And that's because God created us all for community. Through his struggles, he teaches us a lot of patience and the importance of putting other people first. He is loving, kind, and empathetic, yet he is overlooked. 
He can be in an event all by himself or just with us. And I always wonder how long until someone seeks him out. So why would otherwise loving people not realize that Daniel is alone? And I think that's a simple answer. Historically, kids like Daniel have been isolated and segregated. In 1950, the median lifespan of a person with Down syndrome was only five years. In 1983, they lived on average 23 years. And right now, they're at 60 years. And that is progress, but that's still below us. So in the end, the medical experts were right. His life is a little bit harder, but certainly not any less joyful. There's no doubt you guys, some of you have seen him running around this church. I apologize, he runs around a lot, but you know. <laughs> but what they didn't know is that God intentionally puts people like Daniel here for us. So in John 9, Jesus heals a blind man, and the disciples ask, well, was the blind man a sinner, or were the parents a sinner? And Jesus' Jesus's answer was clear, no, that they are here so that the works of God can be displayed in them. So I'm very excited for this special needs ministry here at church. Um, it gives kids like Daniel, a chance to keep growing in his faith and love of Jesus, but also the chance for everybody else um, to learn from him and with him mm. and to be in community together. Mm. Thank you so much, Eileen. Um, <clears throat> Bethany Parnell, uh, her and Hayes, her husband Hayes, um, they have entered into the lives of children from hard places. That's part of their story. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you see the image of God in your family? Sure. So this is our family. And some of you may not have known that Hayes and I were married, but we are. Hayes is the worship pastor here. And um, we have, we've birthed children, we've adopted children, and we were foster parents for a while. So we just like invited everybody to the family party. Like everybody come on <laughs> in. It's going to be a fun time. Um, but when we started the adoption process, our social worker sat us down and said, hey, typical families do not usually need to make adoption plans. And she was preparing me for what we would encounter as we started to meet with families. So we start meeting with families, and I can honestly say that I couldn't have dreamed up some of the situations that we were reading and the families we were encountering. Um, so I started to research things about trauma and how it affects the brain and the body. I started to learn about detachment and how that would affect children long term. I started deeply researching prenatal drug and alcohol exposure and how that would manifest in the brain and body long term and short term. So we had to consider all these things and decide on paper what are we willing to take on. And I got to say, we were in our mid-20s, and we had two babies, Hannah and Nora, already. So our list was pretty short of what we were willing to take on. But as a follower of Jesus, we had to ask, Lord, what do you want for us? And part of that answer came through a visit to a home of kids who had disabilities. Uh, we were in Honduras, and we spent some time in this home. And um, the joy that radiated from the caregivers there inspired us to be open to more. So we came home, we changed our paperwork, and the next month we got a call. There's a four-pound, five-ounce baby boy he, with a long list of possible and confirmed needs that's waiting to go home from the NICU. And that's when Hayes V came into our, our family. Um, so that's kind of part of his story. 
And then fast forward to our journey being foster parents a few years later, we go through a training process where we're asked to consider the most awful, horrific things that can happen to a child and can happen to their family. And then posed with the question, how will you care for them? How will you help everyone feel safe? Adoption felt dim. Foster care felt like total darkness. And Holy Spirit led me to this verse from Psalm 139. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So I started to pray, God, you see through the darkest night. Give us eyes like you. When I want to look away because it's too hard to look at this situation, keep me in it. I want to see what you see. So I had ideas about being the light of the world in these dark places. I didn't know I would find the light of the world in the dark places. I thought the goodness and blessings of God would look like a comfortable home with a typical family. And I can say I have more goodness and more blessing that I could hold in my house. Adoption and foster care has broken my heart forever. I am wide open to grief, doubt, loss, confusion, pain. But it's made even more space for joy, love, hope, perseverance, gladness in the Lord, delight in the Lord than I ever thought was really possible. I've seen miracles. I've seen God be faithful and provide for our family in a way that I didn't know was real this side of heaven. Families and kids from hard places get a lot of labels like broken, abandoned, forsaken, lost cause, too disruptive too far gone. But I found these labels are given by eyes that haven't looked long enough to see the truth. Psalm 27 verse 10, even when my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. Psalm 68 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out prisoners with singing. When little Hayes and later Nathaniel joined our family, I was given a front row seat to that truth. God is living and breathing in the hard places. If we are willing to look, we'll see more of the image of God than we could have ever imagined. Now, I know this is my story, and 25-year-old, really zealous Bethany would be like, everyone should be adopting and fostering right now. But that's not true, because everybody's not called to it. I know that. But everybody is called to it in some way, we can help. We can support. And honestly, you can only support a foster parent if you're not a foster parent, really. <laughs> it takes a lot. Um, sadly, families from hard places and people who are differently abled often get overlooked, excluded, or even hidden out of sight. But I hope that starting a special needs ministry here at Brandywine is going to help all of my kids feel seen, included, and really deeply loved. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thanks for sharing your story. Laird, your story's a little bit different. We heard from some parents of special needs children, um, but you have uh, chosen to go into the education space to work with children who have special needs. And so can you tell us a little bit about that, how you see the image of God uh, in the children that you work with? Sure. So I've been teaching for 18 years severe disabilities with elementary and middle school students. <clears throat> and typically I have about <clears throat> five or seven students in my class. 
and I get those students for maybe two to three years. So you really develop a relationship with them and get to know them very well and you get to know yourself very well. Um, but the biggest thing that has stood out to me over these years is that I see my reflection of myself through them. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is I see the same sense of self in all of them. They, have, they want love, they want community, they want friendships, um, they want to have purpose, um, they, they just they want to feel like us, and they do. Um, a lot of them, especially with severe disabilities, have a really hard time communicating. So a lot of negative behaviors that kind of impact your student day <clears throat> come from them feeling frustrated and not being able to request their, want, their needs or just be able to communicate in any fashion. So you see and deal with a lot of frustrations and I've definitely had my share of some violent students where I've been bitten, scratched, hit, you name it. Um, but we've been trained, you know, over the years to support these students um, through that, through positive behavior intervention. Um, I have been um, trained in restraint holding to prevent students from danger, but in the last five years, especially in Delaware, restraint laws have gotten very, um, very strict. And so basically we're encouraged not to restrain a child at all. So you have to gently support them, especially, I have one student, um, this girl, I've had for two years now, and she's a wonderful person, has a great personality, loves to learn, but she can become very irrational um, and when she doesn't get her way and very frustrated because she can't communicate. So she can attack and she can be very unstable and she's a bigger, stronger girl with very little, limited balance. So I have to gently support her until she becomes rational again and can return to that positive learning experience in our classroom. So this is such a daily reminder and manifestation in my life about how God um, and his gospel and Jesus gently supports me every single day, no matter me not wanting to follow directions or, or me being trapped in my sin mm -hmm. and his desire for me to return to his will in that positive relationship, just like I want my students to return to their positive classroom community. Mm -hmm. So um, I've just been blessed and lucky to have be able to have this in front of me every day for 18 years of, of life in, in working with these students just to see the gospel in my heart manifested through this give and take relationship. And the more that these students feel love and have purpose and are part of the community in my classroom, the negative behaviors completely disappear. Mm. And I've seen students go from terrorizing a classroom 90% of the day to once a month. Mm. Um, so I just think there's such great value in every human, and um, if the more you spend with them, you can really see who you are through them, mm -hmm. um, and just be thankful that we don't have certain struggles that they go through, oh. um, and that gives you that empathy and love that God has for us. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Can you thank each of them for sharing their story? So um, I'd like to invite up uh, David Cordray. He's uh, part of a, a team of people, including his wife, who lead a special, uh, a special needs ministry here at Brandywine Valley Church. And so David's going to give a bit of an update on where things are and ways that we can get involved. David. Thanks. Good morning. In late November, we told you that uh, we are starting a special needs ministry here at Brandywine. We're working to create the structure 
and provide the resources needed to provide consistent support to children with disabilities and their families so they can engage on Sunday morning. Our initial focus is children, like the stories that you just heard, but it is our hope that eventually we will also be able to support adults with disabilities like our daughter Caroline. So our team's been, had a really busy couple of months since we last spoke to you, and today I'm pleased to give you just a brief update on where we are in launching the ministry. In late November, we held an interest meeting, and we were really encouraged by the response. Two weeks ago, we repurposed a classroom to create a sensory room, to create a, a, a safe space and a calming space where children can come if they're struggling to be in the classroom and regroup, or maybe to be a, a space for a, a different learning environment for children with special needs. Our team is preparing training materials and procedures and other elements for us to be able to equip the volunteers to start the ministry. We're conducting training next week for the folks that will be working directly with the children um, in order to prepare them uh, to be able to do that and to launch the ministry over the next few weeks. And it's exciting to see how God is bringing everything together mm -hmm. to establish this ministry here at Brandywine. And we know the need will only get bigger. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, a couple approached me on Sunday morning and they said, we heard that you're starting a special needs ministry here at Brandywine, and we've decided we're coming to Brandywine. And that's really exciting and a little bit intimidating all at the same time. <laughs> so there's still a lot ahead of us to fully launch the ministry, and we greatly appreciate your prayers and support. Thank you, David. Can you thank David and Nancy and those on the team? Thank you. So we're about ready to um, close our service, but we want to do something kind of special. As you heard Bethany say, not everyone's story is called to enter directly in the lives of children with special needs, but each of us are called as Christians to create the kind of community where everyone feels welcome. Everybody can be seen. Everybody can be uh, uh, served in ways that they need it, where families, siblings, and parents can feel like they can worship and know that your children are taken care of. It's, these are sort of the wraparound services and ministries that we can participate in. So I want you to consider two things. Bethany and Terry are going to sing a song over us. I want you to use this opportunity to pray, to pray. Lord, would what would you want me to do? How, how might you want me to be involved in some way? Maybe it is simply through prayer. How, how, what does God want you to do? And then secondly, you have an opportunity to serve. Uh, you see on the screen behind me, you'll see a QR code um, for our special needs ministry. You can pull out your phone right now, go to your camera, uh, and uh, just put it up to the screen and then click on the link. That'll serve in this ministry. You can pray. Um, uh, we have a prayer ministry and you can sign up to be a part of that. You can sign up to be a part of the training just so you can be better equipped yourself wherever God might want to use you to work with children with special needs as well. So consider what God has for you. In many ways, I consider families with children who have special needs an unreached people group. Do you know only 10% of these parents even attempt to come to church. It feels like a mountain 
to overcome. And so we can be just a part, just a part of that story to help them come into a place like this. Wow, that is our role as a church, to introduce people, all people, to Jesus Christ and help them follow him. Let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a hard message to hear today. Maybe we came in not knowing what to expect and wow, we were really struck or we were challenged or given a different view than maybe we had before. Maybe we were inspired or God opened up our heart or confirmed something that was already there. Or whatever it might be, let's speak to us. Thank you that we are made in your image. Help us to be the kind of image bearers that accomplish your, re- your purpose and reason for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.